Welcome to the Summit for Wellness podcast, where we help you climb to the peak of your health. And now, here is your host, Brian Carroll. Heart disease continues to remain being the number one killer in the U.S., Even after all this time and all this work that we've done to improve heart health, it still is the leading cause of death in this country, and actually, one in four deaths are attributed to heart health. The unfortunate problem with this is that the majority of these cases can be fixed via lifestyle changes, and you don't have to go under the knife to be operated on. What's up, everyone? My name is Brian Carroll, and I help people to move more, eat well, and be adventurous. And today, I have Dr. Philip Ovedia on the show to teach us all about how to stay off of his operating table through different lifestyle changes. He is a cardiologist, and he has done thousands and thousands of heart surgeries over the years. And what he has discovered through his own health journey is that in order to stay off of that operating table, You got to start with the foods you're consuming and what you're doing every single day. So he has a new book out that's called Stay Off My Operating Table, a heart surgeon's metabolic health guide to lose weight, prevent disease, and feel your best every single day. And you can find that at summitforwellness.com slash Ovadia, which is O-V-A-D-I-A. But before we dive into that conversation, If you are someone that enjoys doing backcountry skiing or snowboarding and you want to learn more about avalanche safety and how to assess avalanche terrain, there is a course with Mark Smiley at Mountain Sense that teaches you all about avalanche safety. Now, the point of this course is not to replace the Airy 1 or 2 courses that you would do in person, which are some of the main avalanche courses out there. But... One of the benefits of it is it does cover a lot of the same information. And because it's online, you can go back and re-watch the videos over and over. So for us, every single year before the snow season begins, we just go through the entire course again and watch everything so that it's fresh in our minds and uh, we recognize all the different dangers that are possible with avalanches and different snow conditions. So if you want to join that program. You can go over to summitforwellness.com slash avalanche, and that will take you right there. Okay, let's dive into my conversation with Dr. Ovedia. Thank you, Phil, for coming on to the show. Oh, great to be here with you, Brian. Thanks for having me on. Of course, and I'm really excited to talk about different ways to keep people off of your um, surgery table. But before we do that, let's learn a little bit more about you, what's your background, and what got you interested in cardiology? Uh, sure thing. So I uh, always knew I wanted to be a physician. Um, if you ask my parents from you know when I was very young, uh, the answer I always gave as to what I wanted to do when I grew up was to be a surgeon, actually, specifically. And I went through college and medical school. And my interest in surgery, you know, kind of persisted. And uh, so I went into uh, training uh, first to do what's called general surgery. And then I went on to do additional training in heart and lung surgery, cardiothoracic surgery. And, you know, ultimately, heart surgery interested me the most because I just find the heart itself to be fascinating. You know, it's, it's what keeps us alive and uh, supplies the blood to all of our organs. 
And so, uh, you know, treating diseases of the heart was always interesting to me. And the combination of sort of the technical skills that go into doing heart surgery and the physiology behind it uh, was just the right combination for me. How many surgeries do you think you've performed so far? Probably at this point, uh, you know, somewhere in the three to four thousand. Wow, that's amazing. So I'm sure you've seen a lot of stuff when you're going into people's bodies and checking out their heart. What's the most common issue that you see once you're in there? So the most common uh, surgery that I end up doing is what's called a coronary artery bypass. And that is to deal with blockages that have built up in the arteries of the heart. And we're basically rerouting the blood around the blockages that have formed uh, to, you know, either try and prevent damage to the heart or trying to, you know, make up for damage that has been done to the heart due to those blockages. Now, as a surgeon, I'm assuming that you have pretty long days. Is that true? Yeah, not unusual that I'll be in the operating room sometimes for, you know, 8, 10 or 12 hours in a day. Yeah, and I know that you had your own kind of health issues with uh, you gained a lot of weight, and I would assume medical school and all that just adds on to a lot of stress to your body, weight gain, looking for easy access to foods that might not be the healthiest option, but at least it holds you over. So can you talk to us a little bit about your struggles with weight and then what that did to change your idea around heart disease? Sure thing. So, you know, my struggle with weight really goes back to childhood. I was always overweight and obese. And this was despite the fact that my family really, you know, kind of followed the recommendations, the U.S. dietary guidelines. I grew up, you know, in the 1980s when these first came out and we uh, avoided sugar in our house. My brother, uh, my older brother is actually a type one diabetic, so we really never had sugar. We ate a low fat diet that was very much in line with the, you know, with the food pyramid. And I was very active as a child as well. I played sports years around. I rode my bike. I walked, you know, to school often. And despite that, I, I was overweight and got more obese as I went through college and medical school and the training to become a surgeon. As you kind of alluded to, you know, it's long hours. Uh, I'm, you know, oftentimes eating in the hospital, which turns out, you know, is not great uh, to support your health. But... There were a few times, you know, uh, in my life that I knew that I needed to lose weight and I did what I had been taught, which was basically count calories, you know, eat less, move more, eat a low fat diet. And that would work in the short term. But as I'm sure many in your audience have experienced, I would always gain back the weight and more. And Going back about five or six years now, I really realized that I was going to end up on my own operating table. I was morbidly obese. I was pre-diabetic. And, you know, I knew that that's what I was headed towards is heart disease or diabetes or, you know, one of these other chronic medical conditions that plague our society. But I really didn't know what to do because, again, all I had ever been taught was eat less, move more, eat low fat, you know, follow the U.S. dietary guidelines. And I was fortunate about five years ago to come across uh, the work of uh, Gary Taubes. If uh, 
people aren't familiar with him, uh, he is a scientific investigative journalist. At the time, he had written the book The Case Against Sugar. Prior to that, he wrote uh, Why We Get Fat and Good Calories, Bad Calories. And I heard him talk in a medical conference, and he was talking about, you know, low carb and the influence of sugar and how, you know, it's not so much how much you eat, but the types of food you eat that ultimately determine, um, you know, whether or not you become obese. And I, you know, I read his material and I cut sugar out of my diet and then went low carb and had great success. Uh, I've now lost over 100 pounds and I've maintained that weight loss for over five years. Uh, by, and what I really came to learn through that journey was the importance of metabolic health to your overall health, to your weight, and to preventing chronic medical problems like heart disease, um, which, you know, at this point, I was 10 years into my career as a heart surgeon, and I thought I knew pretty well what caused heart disease, uh, but I really came to find out that what I thought caused heart disease was not the primary cause of heart disease. Yeah, it's, well, first off, congratulations on the 100-pound weight loss. That's absolutely amazing. But um, I got to ask you, when you're talking with patients and you're 100 pounds overweight, what is that experience like for you? Well, you know, I'm sure from the patient side of things, they were looking at me and kind of thinking, you know, how is this guy going to tell me how to be healthy? And, you know, unfortunately, doctors are not any different than the rest of our society. A lot of us, probably most of us, you know, are unhealthy. And the statistics show, you know, that 88% of the adults in the United States are not metabolically healthy. Um, and But, you know, physicians are like everyone else, and they're giving the advice that we basically learn in school. And I guess, you know, at some level, I kind of always knew that that advice wasn't working for me. But, you know, I thought it would work for my patients because that's what I was, you know, kind of told to tell them. Uh, and that's what I had learned to tell them. Um, but, you know, thankfully now in the past, you know, five years since I've learned this new information and I've seen it have great success for myself. And I've now been able to tell patients about it as well. And I see it have success for them. I feel that I'm a much more effective doctor than I was, you know, back then. That's perfect. So your own experience has really helped you to not only connect with the patients that are coming in to see you, but you've also recognized that, you know, some of these teachings that we've had for 40 years might not be working the way that they're supposed to for our society, uh, which part of that has led to heart disease being the number one uh, cause of death in our country, which I find absolutely fascinating. So what was the first thing that you discovered was one of the main issues leading to uh, people gaining weight and having heart disease? Well, you know, even to take a step back, I want to say that the first thing, you know, that this experience taught me was that what we eat is the primary determinant of our health. And much of the time, you know, in healthcare, in medicine these days, that fact gets lost. You know, we essentially believe that we develop diseases because of a lack of medication. And therefore, the reason to fix, you know, the primary way to fix these diseases is by treating people with medication. Uh, 
and you know realizing that what we eat has such an influence on our health and therefore the best way to fix problems with our health the first way to fix problems with our health should be focusing on what we eat so that that was kind of the first concept i had a sort i had to relearn and then the next concept was again that it's not how much we eat necessarily it's the types of food that we are eating that have the greatest influence on whether we become obese and whether we develop these chronic medical problems like heart disease that you know are the leading causes of death uh for us yeah and it's interesting because you know medication definitely has a place there's definitely instances where medication is needed but I also think that our society is so trained for a pill fixing all of our problems, and it's very hard for people to make big lifestyle changes like changing their diet. What do you think about that? Well, you know, I think in the end, it's not that hard for people if you give them a change that works. Mm. I think it is perceived that people you know, won't change your lifestyle or it's hard for them to change your lifestyle because largely the advice that they have been given around changing their lifestyle is lousy advice and it doesn't work. So obviously people aren't going to stick with it if it doesn't work. When I now talk to people and I, I explain to them the types of, you know, dietary interventions that I usually recommend, dietary changes, and the other lifestyle factors that go into it. And I tell them, you know, the options are you can address, you know, let's say it's high blood pressure that they've been diagnosed with. And I, you can either go on this medication, and we know that you're going to be on this medication for the rest of your life, and most likely you're going to need even more medications after this to continue to treat this problem. And the problem itself, the high blood pressure, isn't actually going to go away. We're just going to manage it with these medications. Or you can change some things about the way you eat and the way you live your life, and you won't need medications, and we can make the problem go away. We can actually undo the high blood pressure that you have, for instance. When you present that information to people like that, 90% of people are going to say, you know, I want to change, I want to do the lifestyle changes and avoid the medication if I can. And then if you give them effective information on how to change their lifestyle, most of the time they really don't have trouble sticking with it. Uh, you know, unfortunately, that conversation usually doesn't even take place. They usually go to their doctor and the doctor diagnoses them with high blood pressure, and they are told the only option is to take medications. And so that's what they do. And then, you know, we kind of, as a healthcare system, say, well, people just won't change their lifestyle, so we're not even going to bother talking to them about that. Yeah, I love the approach that you brought there, where you give them the option. Um, instead of just telling them this is what you have to do, they get to choose. Do you want to continue taking medications and eventually take more and more medications, or you can put the work in now and make the necessary lifestyle changes to hopefully get you off of all these medications. Now, uh, like you mentioned, one of the problems is most people don't get those options when they go to see the doctor. 
And is that a training issue with the doctor and the staffs um, of these places? Or is it kind of an insurance issue where people or the physicians have to see so many people per hour and they don't have time to actually sit there and talk through these options with people? Well, the answer to that, unfortunately, is yes, <laughs> you know, because it's both. Um, this, the whole healthcare system has evolved to a point where medications are the focus. Medications and, and treatments, I would say, like surgeries, are the focus of the system. And the education that doctors receive, and, and you know, this largely goes for other healthcare professionals as well, that education is focused on teaching you to effectively use those medications and those surgeries and those treatments. And we get very little, if any, education around nutrition and you know proper eating and other lifestyle to support your health. And as I said, the, the, the little bit of education that we do get around those issues is oftentimes you know, poor education. Uh, again, you know, we're told that U.S. dietary guidelines and the food pyramid are the way to support good health. And the evidence is all around us that that is simply not effective. Yep. Well, let's start diving into some of the steps people can take to uh, really make uh, lifestyle changes that last. So you talked about uh, making dietary changes and really focusing on um, the quality of the foods, not just the quantity. So can you talk a little bit more deeper about that? What does that look like? Well, you know, I think the first step in all of this is people have to make the intentional choice, you know, about managing their health. As I said, if you just kind of go with what the system gives you, the statistics show that you're likely to end up unhealthy. So you need to make the decision that you want to be in charge of your health. You're not going to let your you know, physician be in charge of your health, your insurance company be in charge of your health, the government be in charge of your health. It's you that needs to be in charge of your health. And then we need to look at the proper ways to measure health. So for me, I talk a lot about the concept of metabolic health and understanding what that is and measuring it properly, I think is the first step. And then, you know, when you want to get down to the foods that you're going to eat, uh, I basically tell people, you know, you want to find foods that support your metabolic health. And for the most part, that comes down to eating whole real food is the, you know, kind of simple concept that I give people in the end. Can you talk a little bit more? What is metabolic health and how do you uh, establish what that looks like? Exactly. So metabolic health basically means that your body is properly utilizing the inputs that you're giving it primarily what you eat. And, you know, our body essentially does three things with what we eat. It turns it into immediate energy that, you know, allows us to do all the things we do through the day and keep our bodies running. It builds and rebuilds our tissues. And then it stores some of that energy in case that there isn't food available in the future. And when we are no longer metabolically healthy, what ends up happening is too much of the energy gets stored, and then we're never able to tap into that stored energy. So it basically just keeps accumulating. And this is why people can be overweight or obese and still be hungry all the time, because they're carrying around all this excess fat, 
but they're not able to use it because of the types of food we're eating. And the other thing that's important for people to understand about this is you don't have to be overweight to not be metabolically healthy. Plenty of people who are normal weight, even underweight, are not metabolically healthy. Uh, so those are some of the concepts that's important to understand. Perfect. And I know in the nutrition realm, there's a lot of uh, battles between uh, what is a correct diet for people to consume. And you had mentioned, you know, starting at whole, uh, whole foods, real foods. And um, we see, you know, different dietary types like vegans, vegetarians, they believe that their whole real food option is a way to go. You got carnivore diet, you got Mediterranean diet, there's all these different diets that's helping people to eat healthier, but there's some nuances that are a little different. So can you still achieve um, healthy metabolic um, state with your body by being on these different diet types? Or is there only one diet type that works? Yeah, I, I, you know, there is not only one diet that's perfect for everyone. Um, I think all of those diets you mentioned, you know, carnivore, vegan, keto, low carb, Mediterranean, Atkins, you know, all, all of that stuff can all be done in a way that is supportive of metabolic health. And they can also be done in ways that are not supportive of metabolic health. And I think the concept that kind of unifies all of them is the part about eating whole real food. So, you know, again, making it simple for people, I say, eat the things that grow in the ground and eat the things that eat the things that grow in the ground. <laughs> and, you know, the balance between how much animal product you want to consume and how much plant matter you want to consume uh, is quite frankly, up for some debate. And there is a lot of nuance that goes into that. And there's a lot of different factors that go into that, you know, personal taste, what's available. Uh, you know, there might be some ethical considerations, although I try and, you know, get those to be, you know, the focus should be on your health. The ethical concerns, I think, sometimes need to take a back seat to that. But I realize that people do have ethical, you know, concerns that will influence what they eat. And we can work with that. So in my, up, in, in my new book, I go through each of these diets and I talk about what is metabolically healthy about each one and what isn't metabolically healthy about each one. And that will give people the options of, you know, kind of choosing and finding what works for them. But again, I think the underlying, the, you know, guiding principle in what you end up eating should be, is it going to make me metabolically healthy or keep me metabolically healthy or not? Now, the people that could possibly end up on your surgery table, on your operating table, they might hear this information and think about, you know, if I have to sit there and cook all of my meals or eat um, whole real foods, that one, could be expensive, and two, it could be very time-consuming cooking all their own meals. What are some of your objections to those thoughts? Well, so it turns out that, you know, eating whole real food ends up being a lot easier uh, than eating processed food. Most of the time when we eat whole real foods, the shopping is simple. The preparation is simple. There's a lot less weight, lot less waste products. And we usually end up 
eating less of it because we're giving our bodies the nutrition that our, you know, that our bodies are looking for. And when we stick to nutritionally dense, real food, a lot of times we end up eating less often and having to eat less amounts of those foods than we normally do. The processed foods that we are used to eating aren't serving our nutritional needs. And so we're always hungry and we're always eating. And, and as you know, you know, it has become commonplace for people to eat now six, seven, even eight times a day and eat every two to three hours. Whereas people who eat whole real food, myself, for instance, I usually eat once, maybe twice a day. And I don't do that because I'm restricting myself. I do that because I'm only hungry once or twice a day. And when I do eat that one or two meals, it is all nutritionally dense food that's easy to prepare, easy to shop for. And, you know, all I can say is, you know, my experience and the experience of many patients and people that I've worked with is that it is a lot easier to eat this way than it was when I was, you know, kind of eating the standard American diet. Yep. My wife and I, we both also eat uh, usually just two meals a day. And our uh, food budget for the year only comes out to about twelve to $1,500 total for the year for the two of us. And now, granted, that's us buying uh, like meat products and stuff in bulk. Uh, we work with a lot of farmers and we do grow some of our own food. But um, there are ways to eat really healthy without it breaking the bank. So yeah, there really are. And, uh, you know, I will also say that I eat out not infrequently. You know, I, I end up traveling a lot for work. And so I and I, you know, I end up eating out a lot. Uh, and that can be done in a metabolically healthy way as well. Now, moving on from uh, metabolic health, are there any other uh, key areas that we need to cover to make sure people stay off of your operating table? Well, you know, again, you know, my focus is largely on heart disease and the concepts that have been put out there around how best to prevent heart disease, namely only focusing on your cholesterol and one specific type of cholesterol, the LDL cholesterol, the bad cholesterol, as it's called. That concept is, again, not serving us well. It turns out that a lot of patients that I end up operating on have normal or low cholesterol levels. And some of that because they're on medications, some of that just naturally. So we are not doing a very good job in preventing heart disease by only focusing on cholesterol. As we talked about already, heart disease remains the number one killer, the number one cause of death in the United States and worldwide. And it's by a wide margin uh, that it is the number one uh, cause. And it's been that way for the past 30 years, despite all of the, the, what has been done around the cholesterol issue, all of the medications and treatments that have come out around it, and all of our focus on, you know, dietary changes that are focused only on lowering cholesterol. And none of that has had a real significant impact on the incidence of heart disease. And when you really go back and you look at the data around heart disease and the statistics around heart disease, it turns out that metabolic health is a much greater predictor of heart disease than cholesterol is. And I want to be clear, I'm not saying that cholesterol has no part in the development of heart disease. It's just not the primary cause of heart disease. 
and by you know people can have a much greater impact on preventing heart disease or minimizing you know the the effects of heart disease once it has occurred if they would focus on improving their metabolic health first and foremost yeah cholesterol is more of a a symptom of a greater issue isn't it isn't it in there to try and repair the damage to your arteries from other issues yeah that is basically the role that cholesterol plays um and i liken it to you know cholesterol is the spackle that we're using to fix the damaged wall and if you keep damaging the wall and you keep putting more and more spackle on you know eventually now you got a pile of spackle that's basically kind of sticking out of the wall and that's very similar to what is happening in heart disease the blood vessel gets damaged the cholesterol is a repair and if we keep damaging the blood vessel that cholesterol builds up more and more into these plaques that ultimately end up blocking the arteries and the solution for that shouldn't be you know get rid of the uh you know get rid of the cholesterol get rid of the spackle the solution should be stop damaging the wall of the blood vessel or don't damage the wall of the blood vessel to start with and one of the primary things that causes damage to the wall of the blood vessels is the effects of poor metabolic health high blood sugar levels uh on a you know constant basis high blood pressure which again is a result of poor metabolic health in most cases these are the things that are damaging the blood vessels and i believe that we can have a much greater impact on heart disease on preventing heart disease and more effectively treating people with heart disease if we were to focus on metabolic health yeah and um another nutritional debate over the years is are eggs good or are they bad and a lot of it comes down to the amount of cholesterol that can be found in in an egg if you eat it how much of our cholesterol inside of the body actually comes directly from the food compared to your body making it on its own? Yeah, it turns out that the types of food that we eat, the cholesterol content of the food that we eat has very little impact on our cholesterol levels. You know, there's a little bit of an impact. And yes, you can, you know, lower your cholesterol uh, by changing some of the foods you eat. But for the most part, those same changes do not necessarily translate to lower risk of heart disease or, you know, living longer, which is ultimately what we care most about. You know, again, this is one of the sort of flawed concepts that we function under. We have a little bit of evidence that shows if we lower the LDL cholesterol level, we might prevent a little bit of heart disease. But ultimately, the studies show that people do not live longer overall when you do that. And that's what really people are interested in. And it gets into the whole role. You know, cholesterol does a lot of things in our body besides, you know, what it might do in terms of heart disease. Uh, you know, it plays a part in our immune systems. It is the precursor molecule for a lot of our sex hormones. Um, so cholesterol, you know, cholesterol makes up a major portion of our brains uh, and it makes up, you know, the cell, all of our cell walls are, you know, made up of cholesterol. So while lowering cholesterol maybe has a small incidence in lowering heart disease, 
overall, we know that if we lower people's cholesterols, it doesn't make them live any longer. Yep. I love hearing um, cardiologists start talking more and more about that because I feel like that uh, type of information has been lost in translation for a long time. Um, is there a way to test for metabolic health? Yeah. So there are five basic measures that go into, you know, that we use uh, to determine metabolic health. And it's a combination of things that people can check, you know, at home or on their own, and then some blood work. So the five measures we look at are, first of all, your waist circumference. So you just take a tape measure just above the level of your belly button. It's best to measure it first thing in the morning. And if you're male, you want that to be under 40 inches. And if you're female, you want it to be under 35 inches. The next measurement is your blood pressure. So you can get this checked at the doctor's office. You can go to any pharmacy and supermarket these days. They all have, you know, kind of little kiosks that you can measure it at. You can order a home, you know, blood pressure uh, kit uh, to measure it yourself at home. Uh, but you want your blood pressure to be less than 130, the top number, and less than 85 on the bottom number. And that needs to be without medications. If you are requiring medications to lower your blood pressure, that's already a marker of poor metabolic health. And then there are three blood tests that we look at. Your fasting blood glucose, so the amount of sugar in your blood when you haven't eaten for approximately you know, 8 to 12 hours, and you want that number to be under 100. Uh, and these units are all kind of the American, uh, you know, measurements. If you have anyone listening internationally, the units are a little different. Uh, but you want your your fasting blood glucose to be less than 100. And again, that needs to be without medications to lower your blood glucose. And then there are two numbers from your cholesterol panel that we look at for metabolic health. But importantly, LDL cholesterol, the one that everyone focuses on, is not one of the measurements we look at. So we look at the two, two of the other measurements that are on there. We look at your HDL cholesterol. Most times people know that as your good cholesterol. That you want it to be higher. The higher, the better. And so to be metabolically healthy, if you are male, you want that to be over 40. If you're female, you want it to be over 50. And then we look at the triglyceride level, and we want that to be less than 150. And you look at all those measurements. If Three of those measurements are not within the healthy range. You have what we call metabolic syndrome. And metabolic syndrome means that you're at very high risk of developing things like diabetes, heart disease, certain types of cancer, uh, Alzheimer's disease, and, and many other chronic diseases. But even if you only have one or two of those abnormal, it's a warning sign because we know that a lot of those people are going to progress to developing metabolic syndrome. So you really want to get all five of those within the you know ideal range. And as I alluded to earlier, 88% of the adults in the United States do not meet all five measures of metabolic health. So only 12% of the adults meet all five measures of metabolic health. Perfect. And luckily for us, you have all this information available in your book that is releasing as of today. So can you tell us a little bit more about your book and how we can stay off of your operating table? Sure. Uh, the book uh, is called Stay Off My Operating Table, and it's available in print, 
audiobook and Kindle, you know, electronic book format. It's on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com and, you know, all the other major online booksellers. And, you know, basically I go through a lot of what we kind of talked about here, you know, what is metabolic health? How do we measure it? And then I focus on how do we improve it? And again, primarily it is through diet and what we eat, but other lifestyle factors like sleep and stress and, um, you know, getting out in the sun uh, play a part in metabolic health as well. And then what I don't do in the book is I don't give you the Dr. Ovedia diet plan. I don't say this is what you need to eat for the next 28 days to become metabolically healthy. I go through a lot of the common diet plans that are out there, like we talked about. Everything literally from vegan to carnivore, Atkins, Mediterranean, keto. And I talk about how they can be used to support your metabolic health, what is metabolically healthy about them, and what are some of the things that are not metabolically healthy about them. And so I hope that will allow people to kind of figure out what works for them, but know the proper metrics, the proper, you know, measurements that you want to pay attention to, to figure out if your diet and lifestyle is working for you or not. Awesome. And I have to ask you, when you go to, whether it's a conference with other cardiologists, or if you're just communicating with them directly, what is this information um, like with them? Do other cardiologists wish that they could share this information with their patients or are a lot of them just so focused on doing the surgeries and giving statins, et cetera, that they don't have time for this? Yeah, unfortunately, I would say the the majority are in that latter category, that they're just, you know, so ingrained in the system of, you know, giving medications, doing procedures, uh, you know, following sort of the mainstream advice uh, that they, you know, a lot of them just dismiss all of this. Thankfully, increasing numbers are starting to, you know, pay attention to this uh, because they're saying they're seeing the same things that I'm seeing, that we're, we've been doing all of these things, you know, using the medications, lowering cholesterol, giving all the same dietary advice for the past 30 to 40 years. And yet we still have this epidemic of heart disease and more and more of them are, you know, op- are having their eyes opened to you know, some of this other information. Now, unfortunately, a lot of them are not as vocal as I am. They're still hesitant to speak out because quite frankly, you know, this goes against a lot of the major forces that influence healthcare these days. You know, the pharmaceutical industry is not particularly interested in this information. The food industry is not interested in this information. Um, you know, insurance companies, uh, licensing boards, even, uh, you know, oftentimes you can start to uh, call attention to yourself, I guess I would say, uh, when you're talking about this information. Uh, but for me, you know, ultimately, my the reason I became a physician, you know, my passion is in helping my patients improve their health. And that is my primary concern. And if that means that I need to, you know, go up against some of these organizations, some of these institutions, 
not only am I willing to do that, but I feel obligated to do that because I need to have my patient's interest, you know, first and foremost, and I need to do what I know is right for them. Exactly. And it's, it's definitely a tough fight and I'm glad you're doing it. And I hope that the more other cardiologists learn about this, then the movement can just kind of sweep through and hopefully make change on a greater level. But um, uh, until that point, hopefully your license doesn't get impacted in any way by speaking out against the conventional wisdom. So I appreciate everything that you're doing over there. Uh, my final question for you is, what is your vision of what healthy looks like? And what are three things you do daily to reach that vision? Yeah, so ultimately, I think what healthy looks like is that you feel good. You have the energy that you need to get through your day without the use of medications um, and, you know, that you're able to live uh, a long life doing the things that you want to do in life. And for me, you know, first and foremost, what I focus on to accomplish that is paying attention to what I eat, you know, mostly eating the foods that I know are going to support my metabolic health, those whole real foods. The second principle that I think is important is getting adequate sleep. Uh, and, you know, that kind of encompasses dealing with your stress levels. And the third thing I think is moving adequate amounts. And I really, I don't talk about exercising enough. I just say that we should be active throughout our day, try and be moving as much as possible. Uh, you know, walking throughout the day, taking the stairs when you can instead of the elevator, uh, using a stand-up desk is one of the great things, you know, one of the sort of hacks that I do. Uh, and, you know, I think if we just move more throughout our day, it's going to support our metabolic health well. Perfect. Well, Phil, people can learn more about you at ovadiahearthealth.com. And again, your book dropped today, so people can head on over to their favorite uh, book place and be able to find your book as well. Thank you, Phil, so much for coming on and sharing this information with us. Like I said, it's very valuable information, and hopefully this just takes the world by storm. Thank you, Brian. It's been a pleasure. Seriously, if there's heart disease in your family genetics somewhere, then you should definitely make sure you're going out and getting tested to see where your different levels are in your body so that you can try to get ahead of the any issues that might pop up. Now, remember, a lot of times these heart issues, they just come out of nowhere. You could be hanging out with your kids. You could be going for a walk. You could be driving, and then all of a sudden something happens. So if you are working to actively improve your overall health, then these risks go down. And it's up to you to make those changes to your lifestyle to get these risk factors to go down. Now, if you want to dive deeper into different ways to stay off of the cardiologist's operating table, then go check out Dr. Ovedia's book, uh, you can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, etc. Go to summitforwellness.com slash O-V-A-D-I-A, and that'll take you straight to his book. All right, next week I have Terry Cochran on the show. Let's go learn who she is and what we'll be talking about. I am here with Terry Cochran. Hey, Terry, what is one unique thing about you that most people don't know? Well, I'm a Cuban refugee, Brian. Oh, really? And I think that was, yes, I think that was a catalyst for me to live in the solution, not to live in the problem. So 
Uh, we lost everything. I came when I was little. I was only four years old. Our, my parents left everything behind. And but I, we never lived as victims or in the problem. It was always, how are we going to get to that solution? How are we going to get to our desired goal? And so that has really informed everything that I do from finding a solution to my son's health crisis to all that I do and all that I touch now. It's there's a solution out there. Let's be smart about how we find that. I like that. So you focus more on looking ahead instead of looking behind. That's right. I love That's that. Right. Love that. Well, what will we be learning about in our interview together? Well, we're going to learn about there's no right food for everyone. There's no right supplement for everyone. And you might be eating the right, wrong foods. And if you're not eating to your genetic blueprint in your current state of health, these healthy foods that you're trying to eat because they're telling you to eat it could actually be hurting you. And what are your favorite foods or nutrients that you think everyone should get more of in their diet? Okay, since we're so bio-individual, that's a really <laughs> tough question. I would say hydration is really important, right? So mineralization in water, because people drink a lot of water, but if the water isn't mineralized appropriately, we need our minerals because that's, we are a super highway of electricity. And so we need our calcium, phosphorus, potassium, magnesium. And a lot of that comes with the real cer certain fruits. I love papaya. So unless you have a papaya allergy, it's got papain, which is really wonderful as a digestive aid. Its seeds are actually anti-parasitic. It's got tremendous beta carotene, which helps with insulin uh, support. And it has all of these wonderful minerals. So that's a really, that's a really good one. Cilantro is another one, unless you have the soap gene where it tastes like soap. Uh, cilantro is a liver detoxifier. Cilantro is a heavy metal, heavy metal puller. Cilantro ha has tremendous amount of chlorophyll, which is help, helps enrich the blood. It's a phytonutrient. It's, it's a very happy food. I drink cilantro and cucumber juice every morning. That's my, that's my I got to get up and go. Um, so I do that. Are you doing that like as a shot or is it a full glass? I do. So I do a, about three ounces of cilantro and uh, cucumber. And then I do uh, collagen. I do wild lights and I do my vitamin C. So I, I do a concoction every morning and I do that uh, before I work out and just it helps me just pop. And what are your top three health tips for anyone who wants to improve their overall wellness? Okay, the first thing is we've got to feel that we're not in a box. So labels. So once you label yourself like, oh, I have this, I have this autoimmune condition, I'm living with this, you're inviting that condition to you. So I would offer, let's just be curious and say, I'm dancing with this and I'm going to leave it on the dance floor. So having the empowerment to say, just because I'm, I've been told I will, I have this now, I'm not taking it as that is going to be my label for my lifetime. The next thing is to really educate yourself about what is it that I'm learning and not go like lemmings on a diet. You know, let's all go paleo. Let's all go keto. Let's all go vegan. Well, let's go figure out what is best for me because I'm the highest authority of myself. And then to live abundantly rather than scarcity, right? So if you, it, we say you take a food vacation, when you come to our practice, it's not forever, it's just a vacation. And as your body becomes more robust and we heal and seal our gut, then we can introduce those foods that may not have be our best friends, but they're not longer, no longer our enemies. That'll be another fantastic episode for you. Terry is a wonderful person to talk with. And until then, keep climbing to the peak of your health.